listening to episode 154 of Flick Fights, the official podcast of FlickChart.com. Hello, Flick Charters, and welcome to Flick Fights, the official Flick Chart podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Chase. I'm Hannah Kiefer. And I'm Doug Van Hollen. And we're here to sort through the best movies of all time, two at a time, head to head. And as we pick the better film between each pair of movies, our chart better represents all of our collective taste in film. If you're not already on Flick Chart, head over to flickchart.com, sign up absolutely for free, and get started by ranking all your favorite movies on an account of your very own. On this episode, we're going to be adding John Krasinski's directorial debut horror thriller, A Quiet Place, to our chart. But before we do that, we've got some matchups to get into, so without any delay, let's dive right into The Thunderdome. Two men, hand to hand. No jury, no appeal, no parole. Two men enter, one man leaves. Weapons? Anything is possible. Chance decides. Thunderdome. How do I get in there? That's easy. Pick a fight. All right, so to get things started, we are going to be talking about Equilibrium from 2002 against Glory from 1989. So Equilibrium was a... uh, small budget matrix wannabe with Christian Bale. Uh, they did uh, gun fu instead of kung fu. Um, <laughs> and then uh, glory is a, uh, an epic about the civil war and uh, young men thrust into battle um, and the racial tensions of black men serving uh, for the civil war. Um, very, very different movies. Um, I have a a personal anecdote about Equilibrium that's fun because uh, it was in theaters for like a week. Um, (laughs) It it, it had the the tiniest of tiny release windows. And uh, my friend Eric and I, we went to the theater to go see it and it wasn't even on the marquee. We had to ask, ask, are you playing this movie? (laughs) And they said, yes, we're only playing it this one time at, at this one theater at this on <laughs> only tonight and um and uh i said well that that must be why it's not on the marquee then i said yeah so we got our tickets we saw the movie and there were maybe like 10 people there um so i actually saw it in the theater which i don't know anybody else that that has seen that movie that can say yeah. um and it was fun but it's really bad uh it, it's 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 a so bad it's good movie for me uh i saw glory very recently uh, for uh, my movie challenge that I've been working on slowly. Um, And I I also thought it was good. Um, I felt a little bit uh, melodramatic at points, and I'm not sure if uh, casting Ferris Bueller as the lead makes sense um, for this movie, but maybe it does because it's, it's supposed to show how young these, uh, these, these kids were when they were in the civil war, they, they weren't, you know, these grizzled old veterans. They were, they were young, young men mm-hmm. put into uh, precarious positions of, of uh, having to lead regiments. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know if that I could vote equilibrium here, even though I, I probably have it higher on my chart just because I think it's, it's kind of goofy and, and ridiculous how, in how bad it is. Um, and, and I like it despite itself. Um, but what, what do you guys think of these two? Yeah, this is one where I find more than usual, I'm coming up against the question of how do I vote on the podcast? <laughs> uh, if, this, <laughs> if this was on my own chart, Equilibrium would win hands down. But that's not, that's because it takes off several personal biases, per- personal things that are always going to resonate with me 
and not necessarily with anybody else, nor should they. <laughs> I am I'm always going to be very drawn to movies that have any sort of scene about somebody having their life changed or being moved by art in some way, shape, or form, even if it's done mm. really badly, as it is in Equilibrium. Mm. But right. <laughs> even if it's done badly, it's always something that's going to resonate with me. And I don't I don't think that's the case. I don't think that needs to be the case for anybody else. I think Glory is a much better movie. I think it's it's better scripted. It's better acted. It's more important. It it tells its story better. And I and this is one of those things where I have to kind of figure out, okay, most of the time I just vote with what I like the best and, and I right, don't worry sure. about it. But for this time, there's such an imbalance in the actual qualities of the movies that it is giving me a little bit of pause. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to continue with the precedent I've set for myself and vote equilibrium, but I feel weird about it. Mm-hmm. I, I hear you. It, it does feel... It feels wrong somehow. It um, feels like I'm imposing my personal favorites on the rest of the world. <laughs> right. But, you know, we, we got to go with our, with our yeah, hearts. That's what the internet is for. It's true. It's true. <laughs> what am I? What else am I doing with this podcast other than that? Well, I, I don't uh, think it's that bad of a decision. I mean, because I, I think that like glory is not a flawless film. I mean, that the problem when you're dealing with movies that tell really important historical social stories that people don't talk about um and you know that you're trying to shine light on something as part of like a a social good that you're doing right like some movies Mm -hmm. that are attempting to correct some wrong or to highlight some attention or you know trying to a message film in other words and and so you uh when evaluating as a film, you get the film and the message sometimes conflated. And so it's, um, the message is a good one. And I think that the film, if you, if you try to take the film on its own merits, I think that, especially when you compare it to something like Gettysburg or uh, red badge of courage or other films Mm -hmm. about, you know, less, less message films, but sort of trying to, um, tell similar stories, just not with the with the race element. I think that it um, it doesn't have a lot more to say about the war. It has more to say, probably about race, but still, you're you know it, it it's still making it's still told from the white point of view. Like that's that's something I was I was just reading Roger Ebert talking about. Like it's still it's still like told through Matthew Broderick's eyes. Which is, right. you yeah. know, they, they swing and a miss, Glory. You know, like that was that was, you had an opportunity to show the black perspective, and you know, I don't think it necessarily accomplished that. I think that that, that would have been too big of a risk, probably. It, it's interesting, like the, in the sense that Matthew Broderick plays it in such a way where he kind of is bumbling a little bit, mm-hmm. like he he's he's in way over his head, and they yeah. And like you said, it is told through his eyes, but you get the sense that uh, it's important to show how the the white men weren't really that good at being in charge, essentially. <laughs> right. Like you know what I mean? Like yes. it's it's trying to like make that stamp pretty strong um, with with the casting and the sort of the way that that the him and um, Carrie Elway's uh, played the role. Sure, sure, absolutely. And I, I think that you know it. You know this is. Um, this is 1989, right? Like that. This is sort of the the beginnings of the modern era of how we talk about race, and you know, I think that it was tipping in the in the right direction. In any case, I mean, I think I am going to vote for it here. I think that it is a more solid and meaty film than Equilibrium. Uh, Equilibrium has moments in it which are really amazing, um, and obviously the the gun katas are in my personal pantheon of original martial arts ever in mm-hmm. films, you know, like it's a really incredible thing uh, that they both, both the, the rigor that they've applied to this fictional mar- martial art and then the way it was mm-hmm. filmed uh, that, that mm-hmm. was a tremendous amount yeah. of fun. Uh, I just, the, yeah. the, upon rewatching it, um, the, the whole premise of this society where feelings are illegal, like it just utterly bizarre. Like it's too right. weird and too on the nose, right? Like it would it would have been a, a stronger choice if it was just like unfashionable 
to have feelings, right? If, the, if it wasn't like a law where, you know, the loudspeakers were mm-hmm. like, you know, telling people to turn their feelings off and stuff like it, it, it was just <laughs> a really heavy handed um, message that I guess that feelings are good. Like, is that the message of equilibrium? <laughs> like, go ahead and just feel so things. Y'all know. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very odd. So I, I think that because of that, you know, that kind of clumsiness in world building, um, that that's what it, it really sinks sinks down for me. So yeah, gl- glory glory for me. There's there was a movie relatively recently that came out with uh, Kristen Stewart uh, called Equals. Came out in 2016, and it's also a sci-fi movie where nobody has feelings. Like it's <laughs> a, it's a future where uh, they decided that in order to save the planet, that they had to eliminate feelings, and that. Anyone who develops feelings uh, is treated like they have HIV or something and they're like quarantined and they have to be punished and stuff. So it's very weird how similar it is to Equilibrium. Um, or th- or the giver or like any like it's, it's say, so the giver. Connected. Right. Yeah. I mean, like it's like we like it's just, it's a concept that it's not like, oh, wow, anymore. Like, you know, I, and I, I we're going to get to it when we talk about A Quiet Place where it, you have these movies that yeah. the concept is so huge and, and it's almost overwhelming. And it's such an alien world that we're uh, that we're kind of examining that you've taken something so central to the world that the audience lives in and eliminated it and asked them to be amazed by that. And like, right. I, that's not enough. Like, I, I don't know. You, you got to be a little more subtle with it or something. Mm-hmm. The, the, those are always the movies that I kind of gravitate towards. I think mm-hmm. I, I, I really, really like high concept, anything, uh, whether it be drama or sci-fi or comedy or anything like that. Anytime where, where's the, there's this sort of like magical conceit that is, the whole story uh, center is always fun mm-hmm. for me because it's I, I really like that idea of, you know, being immersed in a story that's divorced from reality. I think it's that's what movies are for. That's that's what makes it fun. Um, yeah. And as long as for me, as long as it within within the bizarre world that it's set up, as long as that seems to play out in a way that makes sense for me I can be on board with it I think the league equilibrium doesn't quite make it there <laughs> right, right. Um, but but there are but there are a couple of other, uh, there are other dystopian stories that I think have equally ridiculous concepts um, that that play out a little bit more consistently in their universe which I just I think the giver is fantastic even though the concept for it is never really explained it doesn't make a whole <laughs> lot of sense in terms of how they made this happen but but the character's interaction is so interesting and so good that it works. So, so Doug, with your background in martial arts, is there anything at all in reality that that is similar to this idea of using guns in a way that is sort of a martial art unto itself? Or is that just completely fabricated and, and totally unrealistic? I mean, to my to my knowledge, certainly nothing this formal. I mean, I mm. think that the a lot of modern... Um, like th- there are like weapon enabled martial arts where the point is to fight yourself into a position where you can draw your weapon and you kind of mm. work in that draw into into the fight and then mm. but but there's certainly nothing as elaborate and chinese as what we see in equilibrium and it would be incredibly dangerous like because right. the, the problem yeah. is if your other hand is like whipping around the room as you're firing in a bunch of different directions like that's a terrible idea <laughs> <laughs> but uh but they sell it you know right right yeah oh man um I, you know i i think i have to go equilibrium i i good for you buddy. i really good for you i really do i take I think, the heat i think it's worth it uh, glory is fine, but it's not. It's not as fun or as as uh, just thumb in your in in your face. Uh, bold as equilibrium is, is trying to do its thing. Um, even though it's not good, it's it's good. <laughs> it's, it's it's such a weird uh, paradox movie. So, all right, equilibrium is going to beat glory. All right, so next up we have How the Grinch Stole Christmas against Napoleon Dynamite. So this is the animated 1966 How the Grinch Stole Christmas. So it's 
just barely a movie. Um, it, it, you know, most of us <laughs> saw it on TV as a as a TV special, um, but it is technically a short film, um, and uh, it, you know, it, it it's not really like a theatrical presentation feature film, but it it is a film of sorts. So it is on Flickchart and it is rankable. Um, and a lot of people have seen it and want to rank it. And then we have Napoleon Dynamite from 2004, which is kind of um, a, a, just a quirky comedy. Uh, seems to be a, a love it or hate it kind of film. Um, some people just don't get it. Some people quote it till the end of time. What do you guys think? Are, are you Napoleon Dynamite <laughs> fans or, or do you uh, you fall in the camp of just not getting the hype? Oh, I, I definitely get the hype. I, I, I remember I, I remember when I I first saw it in the theaters and I ended up seeing it three or four times in the theaters and you just spend the whole movie gaping because you don't really get it. Like you don't you don't understand. You just know that something truly original is happening. And mm-hmm. the whole time, and I, you know, I think I wrote a blog post about this a little bit, where it's really, you're trying to figure out like, what, what kind of movie is this? How can I pigeonhole this movie? Is no, it like yeah. a high school bullying movie? <laughs> is it like a, a student government movie? Is, you know, the, the underdog uh, winning movie? Is it a uh, pedophilia movie? Like at, at certain points, it like the movie seems like, oh, it's going to be this other thing. And like, oh, no, it's going to be this other thing. Uh, and it's sort of none of those things. It is just sort of a series of un- semi-unrelated adventures, sort of in the like 17th century French novel fashion, where it's just sort of our hero kind of goes from one mess to the next. <laughs> it you is know? <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and and like just just the structure of it is so is so wonderfully unexpected in uh, you know in the 21st century. Um, the, you know, and the, the comedy comes from earnestness and commitment, right? Like there's not really a lot of writing per se, uh, the, on the page, it's probably not that funny, but there is Mm. the deadpan earnestness and just improbability of these characters is what is what you laugh at. Um, it's difficult to put your finger on where the jokes start, start, starts and ends. Right. Uh, it's right. not it's not comedy as we conventionally know it. Um, so, I mean, all, all of these are reasons why it's it's new and fresh and and uh, whether or not you enjoy enjoy that. It's like you said, it's incredibly personal. I remember reading a article about how Netflix had an extremely difficult time recommending Napoleon Dynamite, mm-hmm. like because it there was no way there was no way to. Uh, put it against other movies to say it is like this movie therefore mm-hmm. people will will also like napoleon dynamite so it ended up being like the unrecommendable film like it was just a very kind of weird outlier movie that yeah. uh, their their algorithms had had no idea what to do with it they completely just, throws off the data yeah, analysis right, sure. right. They, they still they still use it as a test so every i think every year every other year netflix offers sort of a challenge to the tech community to redesign their algorithm or to improve it and you have to pass the napoleon dynamite test now like it's a it's a component of of being able to be better than their existing algorithm is that napoleon dynamite comes up correctly with you know the the correct recommendations um i think that that's like such an accomplishment like for for a film you know mm-hmm. oh i suppose i should talk about the other film i love it it's great it's charming mm-hmm. you know i i think that i i always i always kind of short films automatically lose a couple points in these sorts of matchups mm-hmm. they you know i i think it, it's playing at a bit of a disadvantage here um i think that it's again like gloria i don't think it's flawless um there are it could have been funnier, um, I, but it's very charming and a very beautiful tale that the emotional moments really land. They really explode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they, it, it does it does some really incredible things. And I think it deserves to be the classic that it is. Uh, and right. even more so for Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, this is, this is an interesting matchup. And as I sat here trying to figure out what I was going to do, I think... I think what's ultimately going to decide it for me is I I like Doug that you were when you were talking about how there's no there's no real 
sign in Napoleon Dynamite where the jokes begin and end. <laughs> and and so for a lot of people, I think that they felt like they never started because they could they could not fi- they couldn't find they couldn't right. find where they began, and so there was just none. Um, but I think I I think on the flip side, I think Napoleon Dynamite is one of the the few comedies where every piece of it is there's there's no plot filler <laughs> there's nothing there's no setup or exposition or tedious moments where like okay we have 30 seconds here where we have to show this character getting over there every moment is so tied into the sense of humor and what's going on that if you are in on the joke if you get the joke from the beginning every moment works there's right. there's no filler and and that's that's a strange accomplishment for for movie. But I, the last time I walked I walked through it, I realized that there was not there's not a scene in there that was not quoted by my <laughs> my high school peers because every single scene does exactly the same. It delivers the same level of joke as every other scene because it's all just there. And that's 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 kind of astonishing. And while I really, really like How the Grinch Stole Christmas, I think, oddly enough, in a half hour short, I think there are filler moments. I think there are moments <laughs> that do not necessarily I, I, I think some of the some of the some of the, the silly um, physical stuff with the dog seems like a break from the story. And like like pause, let's watch this. Let's let's watch this happen now. And <laughs> Oddly enough, like I, that's a weird thing to say about about a, a movie that's probably less than half an hour, but but I think I'm I I think it's I think that's going to be the deciding factor for me is that Napoleon Dynamite, despite its much longer running time, does not does not spend a a minute not furthering whatever it set itself up to be. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know what that is, but right. but I think it is so completely devoted to that that it does not take a break from that for a second. And how the Grinch stole Christmas does pad a little bit because it's a short. It was it was kids book, and so it has to pad a little bit. But I think yeah, I think I'm gonna vote Napoleon Dynamite. Although this is kind of like my my eight-year-old self fighting my 18-year-old <laughs> self <laughs> so i don't so it's it's weird but i think i'm voting napoleon dynamite it's kind of remarkable to me that napoleon dynamite never got sequelized like it you know it was so huge that and and john heater his his performance as that character was so strong that it just seems ripe for you know following it up and and you know, what happened to this character and where did they go? But for whatever reason, um, they never did, which is, is very surprising to me. Well, and, they tried, the direct- they tried the animated series and it did, oh, not, really? yeah. right. did not work. Did yeah. not that was an attempt, but you can't replicate that. Like I, I don't even know how they did it once. <laughs> the, the director, he did, um, Nacho Libre with, mm-hmm. um, Jack Black. And then he did gentlemen Broncos and then he did um, a movie called Masterminds with Zach Galifianakis. And I think that's all he's ever done since. So I don't know. Maybe it's just a, a flash in the pan kind of thing. It just, it just worked uh, for that for that time and that place and that, that film. Um, yeah, I, I, I like How the Grunch Stole Christmas, but I, I would say that I like it less than several other Christmas specials of its ilk. Like I, yeah. I would prefer Rudolph. Um, uh, I would prefer the Charlie Brown Christmas. Um, probably even the Frosty the Snowman uh, special. Like all of those are, I think are maybe more, um, I don't know. I, I don't want to say just magical, but just like something about them are more endearing to me than how the Grinch stole Christmas. I, I, it feels a little bit hmm, like just, just it's not as uh, compelling as a story than, than the others. Like the other ones feel much more personal and, and the, the, the plights of the characters seem much more uh, like the stakes seem higher somehow. Whereas how the Grinch stole Christmas, you know, from the beginning that 
he's going to turn around. So it, it's not like a big, you know, yeah, big surprise. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and um, I don't know. It, it's fine. And it does have a great memorable song. Um, but um, I think. <laughs> but Napoleon Dynamite has a memorable music moment too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. And I think, I think you guys have, you know, pointed out that the, the humor being what it is, uh, it, it's, it's unique and it's special in its in its uniqueness like it it deserves to be called out and and pointed to to say at least they tried to do something that wasn't just putting a bunch of actors in a room and letting them improvise and and hoping that it makes a movie <laughs> um uh it, it shows that the script had you know care and attention and that they chose really good actors to you know portray these roles and and make make it work and it's 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 just so weirdly compelling that uh, <laughs> I, I'd have to I'd have to say that it's the better film out of these two. So, um, yeah, Napoleon Dynamite is going to beat How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Okay, next up we have JFK against Kung Fu Hustle. So, uh, Kung Fu Hustle is from two thousand four. It's uh, made by the same people that do. Uh, Shaolin Soccer, I think mm-hmm. it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a extremely zany uh, action comedy uh, kung fu movie. It's it's bizarre and hilarious, and uh, looks like uh, a live action uh, Warner Brothers Looney Tunes movie almost. <laughs> uh, it, it's so so bizarre. Uh, and then JFK is uh, the Oliver Stone. Kevin Costner film uh, about JFK um, that I, I've seen bits and pieces of and remember it being very long and very overwrought and, and a little boring and um, I don't I don't have much uh, memory of, of of the movie to be honest it's it's I might as well have not seen it I, I think I don't even rank it on my chart because I I can't I can't recall enough about it but um. I would go Kung Fu Hustle because it's kind of amazing, uh, and 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 visually it 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 did not uh, when I when I went to see it in the theater I was expecting something else I think and when when it <laughs> when you see the 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 mom is it a mom character or a grandma character yeah, the, I can't remember the landlady landlady yeah the the, the stuff that she would do is just so bonkers <laughs> and and crazy it. I don't know. I don't want to spoil it, but it's um, it's it's well worth seeing. Uh, it's a good time at the movies for sure. Um, what do you guys think of these two? I I had the same experience where I watched Kung Fu Hustle thinking it was not what it was. I mm-hmm. thought it was like a straightforward Kung Fu movie and it is not. No. <laughs> and, and I end up enjoying it way more than I enjoy mm-hmm. regular Kung Fu movies. It's not typically a genre that I love. And I love its ridiculous zany sense of humor and uh, and it just it, it, it's one of those things where there are so many jokes going on that even if even if half of them don't work for you <laughs> there are the there are so many going on that you still feel like you're having a good time with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, yeah, I think you're absolutely right saying it's the, the live action version of like a Looney Tunes cartoon. It is. That's what it feels like. Um, JFK, I watched as part of my very, very first movie challenge where people assigned me five movies to watch in a week. And this one guy assigned me JFK and Gandhi and Watchmen, all of oh which are about God. three hours long. Uh. Uh, so that was a busy week. And of those three, JFK was the one that felt its length the most. <laughs> um, it's, it is it is definitely three hours long. And it feels like it. And and it's it is very slow and um and very methodical. Okay, so and, my memory's right then. It's it's just long and boring. Yeah, it is, it is. And and there are so many ways where it could have been, um, it, it could have been a lot more interesting. <laughs> like, I, I think, I think, I think that could have been a lot more fun. And, um, and it was, it was just so long and it was so slow and it, it was not, it was, it was not what I was hoping it would be. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely voting Kung Fu Hustle here. 
I, I'm glad I've seen JFK, but I have no desire to ever see that again. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think JFK was trying to reinvigorate the, the conspiracy in popular right. culture, right. right? Like it, the, you know, the, the various commissions yeah. had come and gone by this point in the early nineties and Oliver Stone, perhaps innocently and rightfully thinks, you know, the thought he, his, he usually has a very strong political view in his films and his, his view what in this case happens to be completely insane, but like, but still kind of holds together. Like that was, what was the, the accomplishment of JFK is that he strung together the most complex version of the JFK conspiracy <laughs> in a coherent way. Like you, you'd actually, the parts of it, mm-hmm. except for one part, it all hangs together. And that's an accomplishment of screenwriting. The one part that doesn't work is a bit of an aside for this podcast. <laughs> he says in the courtroom, very kind of, he kind of brushes past it. Uh, Kennedy's head moves back into the left, right? Remember that scene back into the left over and over again. Yeah. And he says, intimating, of course, a shot coming from the front to the right. And then he moves on. And the front and to the right is where the grassy knoll was. And that's where, that's where we kind of pick up the multiple shooters theory. Well, yeah. A headshot from the front and to the right moves to the front and to the right. You can test this with a watermelon wrapped in cellophane tape. And when you shoot, whichever direction you're shooting from, the watermelon rolls towards you. So you can, and and so Penn and Teller... They tested this, of course, because they like simulating assassinations. And they're like, well, no, like it's kind of all falls apart at that point. So the problem is I had read Penn and Teller's book where they mentioned this topic before I saw JFK. Uh-huh. And so like in this crucial scene in the courtroom, back and back to the left, front to the right. I was like, oh, well, that's bullcrap. Wait, they, he couldn't have been yeah. there. And like the whole thing fell apart for me again kind of my personal mm-hmm. journey through through the world has, has interfered with my uh, enjoyment of that film. It's not bad. It's got a yeah. lot of monologues in it. Movies should not have monologues. It, it, yeah, it feels very much like with all that time devoted to it and how slowly and carefully they go through everything, it feels less like a movie and more just like his thesis. Yeah. On yeah. Right, let right. me lay out all the pieces of evidence. And that's not, that doesn't make for a very interesting movie. It doesn't make for a very compelling narrative. It right. might make for really interesting conspiracy theory facts. Mm-hmm. But as a narrative, it falls apart. Yeah. Right. Uh, Kung Fu Hustle is one of my all-time favorite films. I, I haven't looked it up. It's got to be in my top 30 uh, I felt about wow. Kung Fu Hustle. The Kung Fu Hustle is the Chinese version of Napoleon Dynamite for me. Where like <laughs> I, I could okay. not understand like what is what movie is this? Like what what yeah. what is the plot line, like pipeline I'm supposed to be expecting here? You know, each scene introduced some new concept in filmmaking to me, some new brand of humor that it was inventing time and time again. The slapstick is so intense that there, it has kind of achieved this new level of, of slapstick mm-hmm. b- because partly, you know, it's, it's really good editing and it's very beautifully shot and the sound effects are just, just really great and loud. And then, then threaded through it is, is what is usually the best part of Chinese films is their, their love stories are told with a sophistication and depth that I just don't get from American films. I mean, maybe right. it's, sure. it, I think it's for me, like one of the main cultural differences in the films is that their, their love stories are just so heart wrenching and beautiful. And, mm. you know, there's like all these bittersweet emotions that they're, they're, their films are able to communicate. Uh, I'm a huge Kung Fu Hustle cheerleader. Yeah. Uh, I saw a movie called train to Basan recently. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a zombie film. Uh, I think it's um korean correct I, uh and it, it the the main characters are a father and daughter and it is so gut-wrenching and and yeah. powerful the the bond that these two characters have uh, when you compare it to something like world war z or i don't know any any other uh, recent american yeah. zombie film perfect it, perfect it, comparison yeah it does not feel you don't feel that same sort of like strong emotional bond between the family that you do in the, in, in the Asian version of it. it. It's strange. I guess it's just the way that they, 
the family is so strong uh, in, in all facets of life, I think, in, in Asian culture, like that the, there's so much more uh, a sense of belonging to a family and, and making sure that you have respect for your elders. And, and you know, there's so much uh, living together as a family and it just it comes through in their storytelling, I think. Um, yeah, so I think I'm. Um, I think, are we all going Kung Fu Hustle here? Sounds like it. I think yeah. so. Clean sweep. All right. All right. Uh, so Kung Fu Hustle beats JFK. Okay, so now it is time for the title fight, and we are going to be talking about a film called A Quiet Place, and it stars John Krasinski and his real-life wife, Emily Blunt. Uh, It is his first film that he has directed, his first feature film, um, that he actually both wrote and directed the film, and uh, it is a, a conceit of... There are some nasty things out there that will kill you if they hear you. So you have to be completely silent in order to not get killed. Um, and that's the sort of uh, spring point, uh, springboard for the whole story. And it goes kind of bananas from there. Um, I saw it maybe two weeks ago, I guess, um, right, right after it came out in theaters. And... I saw it by myself in the theater um, and there were maybe I think two or three other people in the theater at the time. So it was kind of like perfect ideal conditions. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the kind of movie where if you had a bunch of, uh, you know, candy wrappers and popcorn munchers and and nacho (laughs) chompers going crazy, uh, it would just drive you nuts because (laughs) the movie is very quiet uh, as you would Mm -hmm. expect. And uh, it, it makes you... Uh, peer in, uh, you know, lean forward in your seat, trying to uh, feel like it would, how it would feel uh, if you were there with the characters uh, being that quiet. So I found it really interesting. Um, I I liked that there were a lot of um, nods to other films um, that it felt like they, they, they sort of cherry picked moments and ideas and, and concepts and, kind of wrapped it together in in this tiny little story um but you know talking about americans american films not having a very strong family um bond message i I think this is one that kind of bucks that trend um you you do get a good sense that this family uh is is a strong family despite the the conceit of the film um and that the the thing that happened uh, is only making them stronger and closer together and and it's it's a unique kind of uh idea where um you know they have to rely on each other to to survive and to to not uh you know break the silence and it's 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 such a hard thing uh and particularly later in the film because of uh something that happens with their family but um yeah, it, it was. I thought I thought it was gripping, and and I thought that the creatures were really inventive and and interesting. Uh, a lot of modern CG creatures just kind of fall flat and 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 don't seem unique or creative enough. But these felt pretty good and and pretty pretty different. Um, and I liked all the performances. I, I thought the kids were good. I um, and and I liked that it's they they didn't try to tell too large of a story that they, they had just enough world building to, for me to, to make it interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I liked it. Um, what did you guys think? I loved this movie. Yeah. Um, it is 
it is currently my my top movie I've seen all year, um, including not just 2018 releases, but like of everything. Mm. I really like uh, I I like the concept is fun. <laughs> the concept is is a, is a fun, interesting concept for a horror film. But I really like how much it was uh, how it, how it was not it wasn't as full a horror film as I expected. It right. was a lot about the family drama and just mm-hmm. the family relationships and how um, and and connecting this fact that they can't they can't make noise <laughs> and they and and almost connecting to that to the fact that they that there's some <clears throat> that there that there's some some tension going on because there's stuff that they haven't said. <laughs> And that they right. haven't communicated, and uh, and and so those those two aspects of it going together work really really well for me. I think the the family itself is is they're all interesting characters. They're all characters who they feel it, it feels very much like like just an, a, a family. It doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't feel yeah. like they were created as characters in the story. They just feel like yeah, this is this is a family trying to figure out how to how to survive. And uh, I liked that it gave you just enough world building to get a sense of what was going on, but not enough that I felt not not so much that I felt like it was over explaining or that right. it was taking away from the family story, from the center relational story. I, um, I I just I absolutely loved it, and I found myself very very connected to the to those characters, and I think. I, I think it's incredible that we had this story that had so little, so definitely very little audible dialogue. But because of because of how it was structured, there was very little dialogue. Period. And so we had all these stories coming out, and this this world being built, and this family dynamic being built solely through almost entirely through sign language and subtitles. Um, I've had several of my my hard of hearing friends speak up on on Facebook about how this was a very important film for them, mm, <laughs> and yeah. uh, because because what the the main it, it, I, I didn't realize going in to see it that the the main young girl is 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 a deaf character that she it's not just that everybody's quiet is that she <laughs> she cannot hear yeah in and real life so, she's deaf yeah it, yes absolutely and so just this character in there <laughs> and 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 being in a sense, the lead in some, you know, in, mm-hmm. depending on how you look at the story is really cool. Um, so yeah, and, and I, I did, I, it, it emotionally gripped me. I loved everything about this movie <laughs> and, uh, and I did not see it in such ideal circumstances. I saw it in a mostly empty theater where a guy and his, and, and his movie going partner sat directly next to me and then proceeded to whisper to each other throughout the film about what was happening on the screen oh, no. and not things like, Oh, I think this is going to happen. But things like, Oh, look, they're walking down the stairs now. <laughs> like, wow. Yes, I could see this. <laughs> so, but in spite of that, in spite of that, the movie managed to get to me anyway. And I, <laughs> I think it's, I think it's kind of a fantastic movie. Um, it's everything I, I wanted it to be. I'm a f- kind of in a, it's a weird thing to say, but I'm a fan of ASL. Like, I think it's a beautiful language. Mm-hmm. I think that it should just be like, occasionally there's a movie that's just done in ASL. Like there, there's a, yeah. th- uh, there was a, um, they did a, a sketch on Portlandia. It was just like a normal, funny sketch. It was the whole thing was in ASL and it was great. Like it was really funny in all the same ways that mm-hmm. it would be funny otherwise, just because it's such a perfect language. Like the, the language, all of the bugs have been worked out. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's very, very compelling. So I think that, I think that actually it's the dialogue in this movie that I like the most. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I, I think that overall the film is just kind of fine for me. I think it's just above halfway in my chart. Um, I think that the, what, what Nathan saw as tributes and pastiche, I saw as sort of like, um, unambitious filmmaking, like, like they, you know, they wanted to mm. make this normal horror film, and then they changed one thing. You know, like right. the, the 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 deal with like, um, you know, the the daughter and son roles. You know, their their sense of rebellion against their roles, and the run through the cornfield, and like, there's like these these moments that just sort of very expected. Um, that it they they bothered me a little bit. Um, the Krasinski himself wasn't bad, but I thought that he fell into the bucket of director, directors who direct themselves, who 
seem like 20% more excited to be there than everyone else. And like, mm. you know, the best examples are like, like, like uh, Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino or William Shatner in Star Trek five. It's so like, they just like pitched up a little bit more than everyone else, you know? And, and I could tell like it, yeah, I could tell it bugged me a little bit. Like it, it wrote, he wrote himself a little bit stronger than the rest of the cast just it, a tad it's just, possible I, it's something in his eyes he was just more enthusiastic <laughs> it's like yeah guys we're gonna make this movie yeah see we're making the movie you know like it was just really weird I, I don't know I, it may, maybe it's a personal thing from, for me and him um, the, the biggest thing it's gonna seem so petty, petty um, <laughs> but you guys are thousands of miles away from me I don't have to look you in the eye so I can just like say it um, a, if you spend let's say 18 months in a world where being quiet gets you, gets you eaten or, you know, being not being quiet, gets you eaten or <laughs> saying something would get you eaten. Wouldn't you come up with a better gesture than shh with a finger across your lips? How they, do you have to do that every five minutes in this film? Yes, I know, Dad. I can't talk. First of all, I'm deaf. <laughs> Second of all, I know to be quiet. I will be killed otherwise. So he can't, they did it so much. What what were they implying by that? By the end, it was like a joke. Like I, I the first couple times they did it, I thought they were making like a profound, like 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 a pathetic reminder that. We need to be quiet. But if they did, they must have done it two dozen times. The premise of the movie is to be quiet. <laughs> Why are you telling me to be quiet? Like, so they, I, it, I, it, it does happen in very specific moments, though. It happens when a creature is near. Yes, like, then sign that. So, like, then so sign. Like, yeah. So, like, to me, it was an obvious, okay, so we were being quiet before. And now we have to, like, freeze <laughs> until, right. okay. until you're out of, like, immediate imminent danger. Sure. I, I, I get that. And and that's what they were trying to communicate. But, like, what I found, like, I on the drive back from the theater, I, I thought of a better solution. Here's what you do. Whenever you see something that looks threatening, you hold a single index finger next to your eye. And you subtitle it with, I see something, be still. Whenever you hear something that could be dangerous, you hold a single index finger next to your ear and you subtitle it with, I hear something, be still. Okay, like the, the, the civilization that these people are living in would evolve and their language would evolve to meet the needs of their society. And that I didn't see that happening. Like that, it, and that was just like the tiniest example of this. But they, there was, there was just more of that that I needed. There was, need, I needed to see evidence that they were being changed, like almost physically, by by this experience. And it, it, it I, like I said, it's petty, it's stupid, but like, mm-hmm. shush, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, maybe they're just you know old habits die hard for these people, you know, because they they did have a time in their lives where they. They they did make the shush gesture and eighteen it's just months. The natural. Hey, yeah. that's a long time to make that gesture five <laughs> times a day. It's petty. Okay, we can. Move yeah, on. There, there's lots of things like it, like that. That if you, you know, if you really drill down to it, like what is the actual decibel level that mm-hmm. determines how how you know yeah, I, how loud you can be exactly and, and i wasn't i wasn't going to get into that but they they play it fast and loose a couple of times like when she bangs on the shower door <laughs> like the <laughs> creatures are like 15 feet away you know i mean she's like yeah. bang you know and it's supposed to get a jump scare out of you but then afterwards i was like wait a second i thought i thought shush you know so whatever <laughs> <laughs> all right uh. Well, let's uh, see how uh, how quietly it goes against our <laughs> uh, chart. So the first movie it's up against is Amelie from 2001. A quirky French comedy drama against uh, a horror thriller. Yeah, I, I, I liked Amelie. I think I would go Amelie here. I mean, it, it's okay. I mean, it's sort of okay for me in the same way the other one is. It had some some interesting things to say about causality and some interesting editing. Uh, Amelie used to be in my top 100, and then I rewatched it, and it fell to like 450. Wow! Um, Whoa. Wow! Yeah, it was significant. Um, I think I watched it at a time in my life when I very much identified with this character, and as 
an old uh, as an adult now I do less <laughs> and um, and I found myself kind of disconcerted by some of the some of the love stories um, like there's a really unsettling one about uh, about uh, uh, an ex-boyfriend who's stalking his 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 ex oh. and like it's played hmm. for like cute yeah. charmingness and it's not <laughs> and um, and so like there were a couple of those that I that like it, it pulled it down like I still think it's I still think it's creative I still think it's fun um, but it's 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 not as much as I thought I liked it to begin with. And um, I, so, yeah, I'm, I'm voting a quiet place, but I think Amelie is, is, has, has merit. Yeah. I mean, from a visual perspective, I think Amelie is more, more interesting from, mm-hmm. you know, cinematography wise, it, it, it's got more going on on the, in the frame. A quiet place is, is well shot, but it's, it's very bland, in certain terms of color palette and and mm-hmm. framing and shot choices, it's not. It's, there's not a whole lot there that you can point to to say it it looks you know particularly spectacular. But I I don't think they were necessarily going for a stylized look. They wanted it to feel real and and kind of just not a quiet place not, with Obelie's color palette would be so strange. Yeah, <laughs> it's like they did some stuff with the red lights and things like that, but it's you know it's it's just not the same kind of thing. So yeah. for me, Amelie is is the more inventive film of the two. Um, so I will give it to Amelie. Uh, all right, so that makes Amelie beat Quiet Place. Now Quiet Place is up against the Frighteners. I have not seen the Frighteners, so I cannot vote here. Oh, okay. It's uh, a Michael J. Fox. Uh, supernatural comedy yeah i i remember it being it just feeling very cheap and and poorly done the special effects mm. were pretty bad for, even for 96 i think that it was one of those deals where the, the concept of the special effects was interesting like walls like rippling and r- people reaching through walls and stuff but the um the realization of it was not compelling and its sense of humor was very it was just very juvenile for i think this may have been a rated r film it's uh, yeah i not not a fan not a fan quiet place for me the the thing that's the most remarkable about the frighteners to me is that it was the movie that peter jackson did right before he did lord of the rings <laughs> yeah well he, he needed some capital <laughs> it's like what 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 person at at a New Line Cinema saw the Frighteners and said, "Yeah, that's the guy. <laughs> that's, <laughs> you know, that's, that's the guy that, that will will make this happen for us." But um, <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's it's a little bit cheesy, and um, and you know, it's it does look kind of low budget and kind of just not that great. Uh, there's something about the film stock or the grain or something that just makes it look kind of bad mm. like maybe it's the lighting i don't know yeah you're um, right it's the lighting i i, I yeah. never i never noticed lighting i guess mm-hmm. until it's bad <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that's exactly right um you, the, the, there's a, a lot of movies where the lighting seems to make make or break the movie for me where if it's super overlit like a lot of modern comedies are just overlit <laughs> so <right>. badly <laughs> um they, they they just it's like some some gaffer out there is just like i'm gonna put up Seven thousand lights, <laughs> um, because that's my job, and that's what I'm gonna do, and and that's it. Just makes it look so terrible. Um, yeah, so I think I'm gonna go a quiet place uh, on this. I, th- I think it's it's more effective overall uh, than the Frighteners was, and uh, so that means a quiet place beats Frighteners, and now quiet place is up against Road to Perdition. Definitely a movie that I was kind of ho-hum on. I would go a quiet place here. Road to Perdition is um, is another one that's more visually interesting than, mm-hmm. than A Quiet Place because A Quiet Place isn't really trying to do anything with its visuals. It's just there. Right. But, and Road to Perdition looks fantastic. And I, I remember it's been a while since I've seen it. I, I remember thinking it was good. Um, it did not. It did not connect me emotionally the way a quiet place did, and uh, I'm I'm definitely voting a quiet place here. I think Road to Perdition might be better than I remember, but I don't think it's going to be good enough to beat it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Road to Perdition wanted to connect with us emotionally, and it thought that it was in certain <laughs> certain moments, yeah. like, like you know, really letting us know like this is an emotional moment. But it it just wasn't. I don't know what 
I don't know what went wrong. I mean, it's one of those movies that like on paper, it should have been a smash hit. I mean, Sam Mendes and Tom Hanks and yeah. Paul Newman yeah. and Jude Law. Like it's like perfect. In 1931, and like all, all these things were great. Like they were, they were great ideas, but it just didn't, it didn't come together for me. And I find it very unmemorable. It's got to be the script. There's, there's got to be mm-hmm. just something that's not gelling with the the path of the protagonist or something that just yeah. it falls flat. It's probably um, the lighting. Yeah, probably. <laughs> well, I, I remember, um, like Hannah said, that the, there it, are a lot of cool good. shots in Road Perdition. There's there's oh, yeah. Yeah. a bunch of uh, hidden CG in Road to Perdition to make it look mm. period accurate. Um, and it was one of kind of the first movies to really use a lot of that sort of digital backlot extension kind of technology to oh, make yeah. it look like the real city and the real, um, you know, uh, kind of classic old streets and stuff. And so it, it's, um, it's cool for that, but yeah, as a movie, it's, it's just kind of, it's a vanilla. It's, it's not a, it's not a butterscotch. Um, <laughs> The weird for whatever it's a weird means, thing no. to say. To <laughs> like, well, uh, you know what I mean. Like vanilla is just kind of like medium. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's the default. All this vanilla hate suddenly. Butterscotch has has something going for it. So. I just like this being. This is our new our new two thumbs up. We're like this is a butterscotch. Uh, so a quiet place beats Road to Perdition. Uh, now we got quiet place like up against Glory, which I think. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I think A Quiet Place is, is better than Glory. Yeah, I have I still feel the same way that I do by Glory. I think it's good. Um, I, I don't think it's... I, I don't like it as much as A Quiet Place, for sure. Yeah, I, I agree. A Quiet Place is, is certainly more interesting, um, and it's less Oscar-baity, and which is very meaningful <laughs> to me. Yeah. If I vote Equilibrium over Glory, I can't not vote A Quiet Place over <laughs> Glory, so... Okay, now we have A Quiet Place up against War Horse. Which I think is fantastic, and I would absolutely go Warhorse here. I'm out. I have not seen Warhorse. Oh, well, I'm voting a quiet place. Um, I think Warhorse is better than people give it credit for. It often gets mm-hmm. tossed out with with Spielberg's worst films, and I don't think it is. Um, no. And uh, and I I think it's solid. I think it's a little long. Um, I think it only I, it connected with me emotionally when I saw it, but that was because I was in a very weird emotional place at that time. <laughs> And I don't think mm-hmm. that it would on its own elsewhere. Um, so I'm I'm voting a quiet place. I don't know which way the globals are going to go on this. That's true. I don't know either. Quiet place um, is new. Yeah, quiet place is so new that I don't think it's had enough time to yeah. rise the ranks. Um, but I don't know that Warhorse has enough um, enough fans t- for it to uh, to do yeah. well either. I so, bet Warhorse is still ahead. We'll see. Probably so. Uh, let's see. Nope. Uh, Quiet Place is already at 2,343 and War Horse is at 3,133. Ooh. So Quiet Place is going to win over War Horse. It is making its way up. I I will say to anybody listening to the podcast, if you have not seen War Horse, please give it a chance. It's not just a dumb movie about a horse. (laughs) Um, it it is visually spectacular. (laughs) It is one of Spielberg's great modern films it's it's so visually mm-hmm. captivating you have to see it. it it blew me away in the theater i was so glad that i went and saw it in the movie theater um it but is. yeah quiet quiet place is gonna beat it um okay now we have quiet place against amadeus oh my heart hurts right now <laughs> <laughs> This is this is where I I might have to vote a, a not on for a quiet place because Amadeus yeah. is just so spectacular in every way. It's a lot meatier, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Quiet place can't can't compete because it's it's like a, a, a scant ninety minute kind of movie. It's <laughs> it's in and out, you know. It, it says what it needs to say and gets out of there. But uh, Amadeus is 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 much more uh, epic. Um, yeah, Amadeus. I, I'm going to vote Amadeus. Amadeus is, is um, so well put together and so well scripted, and uh, both the actors are phenomenally cast in this. And uh, I, and it's definitely as as much as I connected to both of these. Amadeus is saying much much bigger things, <laughs> and mm-hmm. much more. Uh, 
it's much more um, philosophically interesting to discuss afterwards. <laughs> right. I, I definitely agree. I mean, I think one of the things that I've always loved about Amadeus um, is that it's kind of emotional color palette is so wide uh, and mm-hmm. a quiet place is intentionally operating within very narrow parameters. Like the emotions are all almost mm-hmm. as claustrophobic as like the spaces that they yeah. have to live in. And like, that's totally intentional. And I get it. Like they're living in uh, under siege. And so whenever there's light moments, they can only be so light. Whereas Amateus right. really, it could, you know, it's from like s- stupid slapstick comedy all the way to like these deep operatic, um, operatic sadnesses and, and deaths. You know, I, I, so it's that sort of thing that movies are so good at. And um, yeah, that's why I'm voting it. All right, so Amadeus beats A Quiet Place. Now we've got A Quiet Place against The Iron Giant. Why are all these movies I love so far down on our chart? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you can blame me. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not voting Iron Giant here. Like I I said before, I mean, it's it it missed with me. I don't know, there was some sort of some sort of uh, glitch in the matrix where it just wasn't speaking to me. It didn't. It doesn't speak to me. I've tried it a couple times. Um, so yeah, quiet place for me. I'd definitely go Iron Giant. I think it's great two D animated. Uh, very strong emotional story. I think. All right. So I love Iron Giant, but I have to think about. The last time I sat down and watched the movie, what I love about Iron Giant, I love the overall grand narrative, and I love mm-hmm. the ending. There's a mm-hmm. lot of stuff in the first two-thirds of the movie that is um, more connecting with a younger viewer. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of stuff that's a little bit silly, a little bit slapsticky in a way that doesn't quite fit what I love in the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and not that it isn't good not that it it should be gone but it doesn't it doesn't cohere as well for me i think a quiet place is a little bit more um consistent throughout in terms of definitely in terms of its tone it's very consistent in terms of its tone and yeah. uh and and i think i'm gonna go for that because i don't think i can go to iron giant just based on how much i love the ending okay so i guess i'm voting quiet place but i feel bad about it <laughs> <laughs> I'm right, sorry, so Iron Giant. Quiet Place beats Iron Giant. Uh, now we've got Quiet Place against Mystic River, which I have not seen. Actually. I didn't get Mystic River. I I don't know. It just it just didn't work for me. It wasn't. I I didn't find myself compelled by it at all. Um, it has been a while since I've seen it. Maybe it would do better on a rewatch, but I I don't think it would. Um, so I'm. I'm going a quiet place. Oh man, I love Mystic River. I love it. Love it. It is a gem. It is a black obsidian, multifaceted gem. It's amazing. It's such a terrible, unpleasant film to watch, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it fills my heart with love. Like I don't know why. I don't get it. Like it's it's. I mean it's it's Eastwood. It's it's Eastwood sort of with all all of his cylinders firing. I, I love it. It's not even close for me. Hmm. I guess I got to see this then because it, it seems like one that, that keeps popping up as one that's uh, that's on the, the, the must-see list. But I don't know. There, there was, When it came out, it, it just came and went and, and I never... I don't even know what it's about. I have, I have no... Good. No concept at Good. all. Good. It's so. another one of those movies where it's not clear what kind of movie it is until like three yeah. quarters of the way through. Like, you know, is it like a sex movie or is it a crime movie or is it like, you know, you're not really sure. Uh, so that's actually a good a good thing. Hmm. All right. Uh, well, that's so we're tied. two to one. Chris, wait, wait, wait. Uh, is it tied or is it two to one? It, wait, you, you said you, you haven't, haven't seen, seen Mr. River. River. Oh, that's right. Right, right. Uh, okay. <laughs> so let's go to it. Globals. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Griver will take it. Yeah. 990 to 2343. Yeah, I'm clearly out of the out of the zeitgeist <laughs> there. <laughs> uh, now we've got Quiet Place against Rear Window. Yeah. Two clusters similar. Movies. Yeah. yeah, it's very, very similar. Interesting. But yeah, again, not even close for me. <laughs> Rear Window is amazing. I watch it, I don't know, every eight months. <laughs> Yeah, 
It's it's super solid. It's a little closer for me, but Rear Window is in my top 10 in Quiet Place yeah. is not. So Rear Window 100% <laughs> takes it. All right. So that puts Quiet Place at 288 on our chart. Pretty good. So that's oh. out of 551. So it's just under middle middle ground there. All right. Cool. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of Flick Fights. But as always, you can follow us uh, and our progress by friending us as Flick Fights on FlickChart. And you can follow us on Twitter at Flick Fights and find us on Facebook. And if you want to be a future guest and talk movies with us, uh, send us an email to flickfights at flickchart.com and we will get you on the show. And from all of us at Flick Fights, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>